Six deer come in. I put a hellish, crazy, I mean, body butt-kicking stock and shoot this deer at like nine yards. And I don't have my big pack. I'm so low. I have this little day pack, my assault pack. I'm cramming D-bone meat in it. I've got game bags in my hands, the pack on. I'm climbing up a 45-degree slope trying to get to my big pack. A storm comes in. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, here with Evan Williams, and today our guest is my buddy Aaron Schneider. How you doing, Aaron? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're, you're welcome, man. I've actually been on your podcast several times over at Kafaru Cast, and uh, this is kind of kind of weird for me to be in a podcast with you and be <laughs> running the show rather than answering the questions. Um you probably do a better job of it than I do. <laughs> I've had a, that's one thing I've had a lot of practice with podcasts. Somebody asked me the other day how many I've done or been on, and I, yeah. I have no I have thousands. I don't I don't know how many total. So, well, does that mean that you're full of a bunch of BS and you're just <laughs> never ending? <laughs> I, I brought up we did one today, and I think I made the comment of. Uh, uh, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I just pretend that I do while I'm on the podcast because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, you you end up having a podcast and there's certain things that everyone's good at, right? Like, um, we'll just pick, we'll keep it out of the outdoor industry. And Evan, you're, you're a fitness freak. Uh, you work out constantly. You started a podcast on fitness. How many people would start asking you questions that don't have to do with fitness because they just think you have a podcast and you know things you don't know and people ask me all the time and i'm like i'm not a podiatrist i just went to one what? i think i <laughs> yeah. know i have his intervals, but i don't i'm not a foot doctor uh that's why we have them come on so yeah <laughs> yep, big time <laughs> well evan is starting a fitness podcast i believe aren't you starting no. one here pretty soon False. no evan False. <laughs> <laughs> we Rumor were just in commenting hearsay. On, on Evan a few minutes ago, Aaron jumped on this thing, and we've got video here. I know that you guys can't see it, but uh, Aaron took one look at Evan and said, Evan, do you look like you got stung by bees. He's, he's getting a little <laughs> large. Well, it's been it, it's been seven years since I worked for Aaron, so everybody knows. Yeah, I worked at Kefaro for a while for Aaron. Um, yeah. I will say the entire time, it was by remote sat phone on his end while he was in Alaska. <laughs> Um, so he was still out of the office, but at the time I was 155 oh, pounds soaking wet. Dude, so you're, you're not even, it, it, it's quite a transformation. I mean, you were a scrawny runt and you're, you're I still am a scrawny runt. No, dude, <laughs> no, you're, what, what, what do you weigh now? Uh, right around 195, 245. <laughs> <laughs> If I, if I was Marlon Holden's, you know, six foot four, maybe I could pack that on this frame. Uh, yeah. No, uh, well, I still got you by 20 pounds, but it's not probably a good 20. <laughs> <laughs> Although, man, I, I still can't keep up with you on a mountain, and I know that for a fact. Well, you just, I was just, you, you have those lungs. I have a uh, advantage. I live at 10,000 mm. feet. If we go to sea level, I'll get a migraine from too much oxygen. Like, it's, it's weird. <laughs> So, like to Alaska, you know, I feel bad for the guy because um, I'm like, you work out before this? No. And I'm like, 
your client's usually in shape now. Like, oh no. And I'm like, Oh, I feel bad for you. Um, <laughs> But well, I was, I was just at his house the other day, Evan, and, and was up there shooting on his range, which just is like a littering of, of targets. I've never seen anything quite like it. Well, you got to be careful. You don't have a live one walk in while you're doing it too. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, he's, he's right on top of that mountain. He lives right on top of that mountain. And, you know, he's always talking about his wife dropping him off at the bottom of the mountain and he's, you know doing a hike all the way back up and dude that is how many vertical feet is that aaron uh i'm 2300 dude. And, and so it's 23 up what's the what's the distance on the route that you take going home 3.8 miles yeah so it's got some switchbacks and stuff to it but still i i grossly underestimated what he was doing when his wife drops him off on that hike up there man and at 10,000 you know 10,000 feet boy it doesn't take you too long to get but your it, your wind it's funny um not well not funny like um everywhere you go like Evan you, you're at the gym and you've got um you you got power lifters and and strongman competitors crossfitters got everything you know here in Colorado and you lived here I mean it's the land of the the wolf when you're talking about you know the lungs and you're not going to stroll into a uh, a backpack cardio session probably and crush it because there's so many guys that are just mm-hmm. freaks and so you have to be you know when you about the time you think you're good just go get 20 guys together and it'll humble you because you're like well i guess i still have work to do there's some very fit guys we hang out with yep. and you guys are you guys still doing the is it the fire road hike well, not as much as, I mean, yes, but I'm not as much because I have my own, I, I live on something far worse than the fire road. But when I, that was where we trained before, obviously now it's even better because rather than a mile to the top, I've got 3.8 miles and it's just as steep. Um, mm-hmm. So, and let, you know, it, it's my house, right? So it's super easy. And, and truly, before dinner, she, Amy drops me off at the bottom, and if I'm going to eat, I have to make it back home. So it's a motivation because <laughs> oh, I get to eat dinner. So. And and for those of you that don't know Aaron like Danny and I do, Aaron is a – he's a fat kid, and, and so am I. And so am Danny. Like, we love our food. So that is motivation in itself to get our butts up that mountain. Yeah. that well, is he, no- he, used, he used to be a fat kid. I wouldn't call him a fat <laughs> kid anymore. It, I try myself. Okay. Just to remember what can become if I get out of hand. I, did you see that photo of me shooting that Hoyt Power Tech? Uh-huh. It, you yeah. you're you look like uh what, what is that um uh that scene on Beetlejuice where they shrink that that person's head? <laughs> that that's what Aaron looks like in that photo. This little tiny head and this huge. I how much do you weigh in that photo? 255 and not a buff two. I had a big butt crack coming out the front of my shirt. It was not a uh, lot. It takes a lot of butterfingers and Mountain Dew to get that size. Let me tell you. And that, <laughs> that make such a stance on, uh, you know, fitness and nutrition to really try to focus on that and, and try to motivate people is, Hey, I, I was a fatty. I get it. You know, I, I feel your pain. I peanut butter calls to me. Um, I get it, you oh, know, but yeah, on it. It is the demise. That is my demise at night. Oh, look at Evan. Evan <laughs> I've got a gallon Evan just of pulled right out a my huge jar of Skippy peanut butter. Um, 
I guess peanut butter is not bad to eat as long as you're not eating it at 11 o'clock at night like I seem to want to do. Yeah, I wake up and have peanut butter on my knuckles. I'm like, what happened? Uh, I didn't drink. <laughs> I remember eating well, that entire car. To be fair, in that photo, I mean, you you, you were you looked like an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. I wouldn't call you an offensive lineman. You looked like a D lineman, and you it wasn't all fat. You were big too. I'm sure that you were strong as an ox at that point. Um, but you were you definitely weren't trim, and you definitely didn't look like you were built for climbing steep mountains and at ten thousand feet at the time. It, it's crazy how life works and one of the reasons i bring up evan because you have quite a bit of a transformation and this has to do with backpacking and backpack cardio uh you know i i got really when as evan you know i got really serious into powerlifting at one point and got really mm-hmm. strong but you know recently i went to um i go to a place where i get my water displacement uh test for body fat to see where i'm at and i've been able to in the last two years um i packed on 12 pounds of of muscle, but lost three and a half percent body fat. Um, and I got to kind of not be a slave to the scale is, is, is weird as that sounds because I, you gain muscle. And if you're a natural born fat kid, you worry gaining weight. And when you gain weight, mm-hmm. you're like, I'll get fat. Well, a lot right. of time, if you're working hard and you have to keep that in mind of the water displacement or body fat, body mass index, and, and make sure that you're, you know, tracking your you know your progression and when it comes to backpack hunting there is a realistic possibility depending upon how rough of backpack hunts you're going on and how long you're going to drop 10 15 20 pounds and especially doing like we do back to back to back hunts and so i try to pack on a little weight before season just so i have something extra to you know to lose i have kind of an optimal weight i try to stay at it I certainly dropped below that quickly on a 14-day backpack mule deer hunt, especially with the recurve, because it's not like a one-and-done deal. There's usually multiple horrible stocks involved. So, yeah. So, hey, I know we want to talk about backpacking on on this podcast, but just curiosity's sake, quick summary of kind of how you think you've done the 12 pounds and dropping three three percent body fat. I mean, just quick summary of what you've done to accomplish that. Well, in, in the spirit of total honesty, I, one, I got on testosterone replacement therapy. I've had multiple concussions, and my test was extremely low. Part of it had to have been that, but the majority of what it was was the ambition to lift and the recovery, um, changing my diet. So I changed my workout program, not to like back in the day where I was doing, you know, three sets of six of, um, you know, the, the, the most ridiculous amount of weight possible. I, I increased um, my reps by quite a bit and increased my sets quite a bit, but I also changed my diet quite a bit. And then my, my cardio, I, I, I wear a, a Garmin watch and I, I track my heart rate. So I try to stay in that optimal zone of fat burning and not losing muscle. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of intervals. So intervals are also real good at burning, burning fat and not muscle. And basically just tighten the noose, uh, on dieting and, and working out and, and got more stringent on everything. Uh, and that, that mm-hmm. you know, that did it. Hmm. I don't, it, it doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> it's something there's, I need to do. There's a science it to it though. Fun. It, yes, there definitely is. Well, let, let's there talk. There definitely is. Let's talk about, you've got, uh, you've got, um, 
people who are miracle bow tuners, right? That are masters at dissecting a bow and problems and shooting. And then you have people that are every bit as gifted at a, a level, you know, at a doctorate level of diet and nutrition to get where you want to be. You're either going to figure it out on your own by picking parts and pieces of that, or you go see one. I'm lucky enough that I have uh, Matt Chan and his wife. They eat yeah. CrossFit games at one point and won the, I don't know what it was called, uh, Titan game. Yeah, guys, yeah, Titan. Yeah. He's a freak, and his wife is a, a genius. My wife only cooks organic, right? And I shoot enough to where I eat about 350 to 400 pounds of, of wild game a year. Um, and I being able to tighten that noose and, and getting people um, behind you to help you out when you have questions. There's no different when you got an arrow tuning problem. You got to see somebody who knows what they're doing uh, or you're winging yeah. it. I, I, I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by good people like that. You introduced me to Matt recently, and we've become friends on social media, and that dude is a beast. Holy smokes, is he a beast. Yeah, I, I um, remember one time I said, you know, do a backpack cardio. My heart rate doesn't get super high. And he said, Aaron, you never need to do backpack cardio again. Your body is good. He was like, get a mountain bike. And he was right. I got a, a Yeti SB130, and my cardio now is far better than it's ever been because I'm riding up the road now. And believe me, even in one one pedaling, grinding it out at the lowest gear possible, your heart rate's at one twenty five, one thirty at a minimum on the low end. Right on the bike, so that's been a huge help. And then I, um, you know, really started working on supersets and, and simple stuff, the stuff you can do in an apartment or or in a hotel, air squats, the push ups, the crunches, you know, just normal stuff and. I think the willingness to try is what people lack is you don't have to go to a gym. I mean, gyms are great. I mean, you should go to one, but I mean, I, I carry stretch bands when I travel and, um, and, you know, and I do a full body workout with just stretch bands and literally an 1800 cubic inch day pack and I can get a good workout in the willingness to try is, is really what you need or, or to do it. So even w with your backpack cardio, even with a weighted pack on steep inclines, your, your heart rate isn't getting up to where you want it to? At the spirit of sounding arrogant or at the, the fear of sounding arrogant. Um, the other day we hiked in, my buddy Cody and I, about five and a half miles. I have 52 pounds on my pack. We got up to about 12,000 feet. The entire hike in, my heart rate never got over 108. We track it on our, our uh fitness watches and uh wow that's not the case with me like if i get <laughs> if i'm like over 40 pounds in that pack and get on a steep incline and when i you know i'm talking about a steep one not a trail incline you know what i mean um i can i can push that heart rate up there quite a ways like well, it ain't down near 110 at all the thing is and evan you just said it there's a science um when you look at um, how long I have been at a high altitude, I live at 10,000. Mm -hmm. We are at 13 frequently. My red blood cell count is, is high. And again, I'm not a doctor. I just pretend to be one. Um, right. I, um, when I get tested at BO2 max, when I go get tested at different places for what's optimal, where I'm at and how to get there, um, mm -hmm. My, my lung capacity, and it's probably because I was such a fat kid packing so much extra weight around, my lung capacity is, is, is good. It's high. And there's guys that could crush me. 
but I, you know, I hold my own, you know, in the mountains, but there's dudes that just can destroy me. And I, I mean, it is what it is, right? You just, like I said, the willingness to try as long as you're to get out there doing something, you're improving. And that's really what I try right. guys is just get out there and do something. Well, see, it's, it's crazy. I just wrote, uh, an article or well, a column for bow hunter magazine, um, about backpack cardio and you know the fact is last year i went into the season feeling like i was in pretty good shape um i was doing a lot of running last year and i really didn't do any backpack cardio at all and i usually do that's part usually a big part of my regimen getting ready for the season and as you know aaron lane killed that bull way up at timberline in an area that both you and i have been before you're familiar with it and when we packed that thing out, it was all real steep downhill with tons of deadfalls. So there was lots of times where you dead end, and we were doing it by headlamp, and you dead end to just a tangle and have to go back up and go way around. Um, and I kid you not, man, that pack out was painful. It was one of the worst ones that I've ever had. And I was like, oh, okay, I can definitely feel that I didn't do any backpack cardio this year. Yeah. And it's like my, my joints weren't ready for having that kind of weight and, and, and pulling that kind of incline, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm bound to determine not to let that happen to me again, because it wasted me for the next two days. I was just useless. And it, I don't know. I, my recommendation to people has always been if they're coming West, getting ready to go on a backpack hunt, that it's real important for them to be doing a ton of backpack cardio beforehand, especially if they're coming from lower altitudes and not used to being on inclines with weight on their back. What would you say? What would yeah. you instruct somebody to do? 100%. A very good example is the what I call the stairway to Jesus at the gym. You're, you're just mm -hmm. a great for certain parts of your body. What it's not doing is getting your ankles, the side of, I'm, again, I'm not a doctor, yes. your shins, whatever, calf muscles, lateral movement. It's not getting your feet ready for uh, hot spots because you get that shifting in your boots. You know, there's just, it's a, how many guys have you seen that are just giant freak muscular guys that can barely draw back a bow? It's because they have oh. drawn back a bow. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't yeah, tell you how many memory. giant giant freak muscle muscular guys like that that i see that an incline will just wear them out yeah. they might have lots of explosion but uh when it comes to pulling long distances on an incline with weight on them it just wears them out and like you were talking about with the ankles and shins and stuff like that on that pack out that i'm talking about that was that was where i was destroyed like from from the knees down just completely destroyed on that one for whatever reason and i think you're exactly right so talk about what you were doing the stairway to i don't i forget what you just the, called the it stairway to heaven i evan what do you call that thing ever a lot of people call it the ex-wife uh i have a hit well which is that incline i think i showed you that danny the incline where i can yeah armor carry you know mm -hmm. the best thing to look at it is is when you nothing wrong with flipping tires right it's a great cardiovascular workout and i think you should incorporate things like that but there's nothing like the task at hand training for that like i said drawing a bow giant muscular guys can't draw a bow a lot of times they're not used to those muscles so you need to get your hips your hip flexors used to it you need to get your your, your ankles the lateral movement your shins 
that's why you want to do backpack cardio. And I know people coming from back east to the west don't have as much terrain to work with and and i get that you just right brain you can find to, to to work on that and the thing like with 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 us saint me and frank for example we will do back to back to back with one day interval break back 14 day backpack hunts maybe two days and that's with mm-hmm. packing out animals and so we know we can't be deadlined in between from as we're talking about health and fitness are you drinking a soda <laughs> yes who? yes he is who no this is this is unsweetened iced tea that's just as bad no I'm, no. <laughs> no i don't i can't do without the iced tea the uh you know the back-to-back-to-back hunts where you're getting after it you've got to be able to you know in the case of mule deer we're in when evan you've done some some pretty far you know, backpack hunts as well. Where if you're in six, mm-hmm. seven, nine miles, whatever, which is very feasible for high country mule deer, and you're coming out, you've got 50 to 60 pounds generally of gear if it's 14 days, if, if not more. You know, you're going to eat some of that down and, you know, whatever, but coming out at generally a mule deer weighs any animal is, is you're going to get deboned meat around 30% of its gross weight on the hoof. So, 1,000 pound elk, you're going to get 300 or so pounds. So, a 200-pound mule deer, you're going to get 60 pounds of deboned meat. So usually we're, you know, trying to, you know, get on a little bit older, bigger deer. So you're you're used 75 pounds of meat. So if we got 50 to 60 each, and you know, basically you're coming out with 100 pounds is what I'm getting at, roughly. Um, mm-hmm. I like the sound of that better than some of the elk I've been yeah. taking out the last yeah. couple of years. <laughs> so yeah. 100 pounds and six to nine miles coming out, and then turn it around. You have to be at optimal at an optimal level because you don't have downtime yeah you get a day to go eat and screw around and sleep but i mean we're going right back in in a day or two and so having our pack fitted our boots the gear dialed in you know the the, the whole nine is is very important which is what we're obviously going to talk about on this podcast so for me i try to train for 45 to 60 pounds in my pack all the time I don't go super heavy anymore. I think it's very counterproductive for your body. I think it's good to throw 100 pounds on your back to know what it feels like, but don't train with that constantly because you're, you, you know, you're, you're right. You're, you're running on borrowed time. You're, you're taking away life from your knees and you want to know what it feels like. You want to know what to prepare for. But back in the day, I trained with 100 pounds a lot and it was not, not probably not something I should have done. So, 45 to right because it's too hard on your joints and yeah all of that stuff yeah you want to know what it feels like you want to know you know how to load the pack you want to, but you, you don't want to do that too too often just because you you know it's pretty hard on your body so um but yeah i mean that's that's kind of for us we we have to be we have to be dialed and, and that's i guess we can get that off now and and kind of go into you know what's going on with that as far as um you know, kind of top to bottom from pack fitting to loading the gear or whatever you guys want to cover. Well, let's get into some yep. of that. Um, the, the one, I get a lot of people that ask me about pack fitting. Um, and a lot of people that I've been out in the field with that when it came time, especially once you had to put a load in that pack, um, that just could not figure out how to get the thing comfortable on them. Um, mm-hmm. Walk us through that a little bit, uh, Aaron. So out of the gate, and I want to make sure, you know, disclaimer, 
I, I own Kafaru. I've ran Kafaru for a long time. Obviously, I'm a Kafaru fan, but what I'm talking about is for all packs. This is this is very textbook um, type of information. So the first thing when you get a pack, you want to figure out your torso length, which is yeah. the top of your iliac crest to your C7 vertebrae. You want to make sure that's dialed in so you know your, your torso lengths. Um, and... I think, you know, that torso length, we figured out a little bit differently. We go off your height and pant length. But once you figure out your torso length, that's going to tell you your frame height that you should have to get the optimal load lifter angle. And what the load lifter angle is, is where the strap that comes off the top of your frame and attaches to your shoulder strap. And what that does, it doesn't really lift anything other than the shoulder strap up off your shoulder to where you just can fit a little bit through a gap so that transfers the weight to your hip bones your hip bones are able to handle or your hips a lot more weight so you want to be at a 60 40 70 30 ratio you want 60 percent on your hips 40 on your shoulders or 70 30 that's a little bit of personal preference and so if your frame is too short uh, you know in, in, in accordance with the torso length you're not going to be able to lift that weight off your shoulders and transfer it to your hips. So then you're going to burn your shoulders out. The same in reverse. If your frame is too yeah. tall and you've got this giant gap between your shoulder straps and your shoulders, your hips will burn out and your pack will be floppy, meaning that it'll shift back and forth and, and be actually somewhat um, dangerous with a heavy load because it can flip you off a cliff. So, once you figure out that torso length and you know what that is, and let's say roughly a 20-inch torso length is pretty tall. That's a guy that's six foot one, six foot two with shorter legs. Um, you know, uh, Evan, what are you, 5'8", five, 5'9"? Five, nine? Five, nine, I think I'm like 17 and a half, 17 three quarters. Torso. Danny, what are you? On my torso. Yeah. Danny, are you uh, six foot? Yeah, I'm six foot on the nose. And, and Danny, your pant length is 32 inches? Roughly, no, uh, 34. So, 34. So, Danny's probably got the same torso as, as Evan, three inches taller than Evan. Um, so it's not just mm -hmm. your height, it's also your pant length, um, or, or your you know, the length of your legs. So, once you get that figured out, which you can any good backpack company is, is going to be able to help you with that and get you sized correctly, then it's a matter of the shoulder straps contouring around your shoulders, getting the right length. Uh, so you're not rubbing your your man boobs or your armpit or your your by your giant biceps or whatever that that shoulder strap needs to contour around your shoulders, be at the right length so the load lifter angle when you lift it it just gives you a little lift to transfer the weight to your shoulders. Then you have the belt size. If the belt's too small, it can give extreme pressure on the front of your pointy uh, pointy part of your hip bones. If it's too big, it's mm -hmm. going to be able to hold the weight and it's going to you know basically go down to your butt crack and just you know slide down and your shoulders are going to get worn out yep and so then you want the also the curvature of the frame now not every company offers different curvatures but you have a back profile just like anything um and if you're going to look at your back profile you're basically looking at how much your lower back curves in and your upper back curves out and what that means is when your lumbar pad most packs now have a lumbar pad it is seating taking up the bend, you know, that curvature away from your, your back, that lumbar pad is taking up that gap. And so that way, when you tighten your belt, that pocket in your lower lumbar region is filled up and helps secure the pack from, uh, you know, sagging down. 
So if you have an ex sliding down, yeah, sliding down. So if you have the wrong stay curvature or no stay curvature, the chances of that pack sagging down are pretty high. So you want to make sure that if that's an option, or you have aluminum stays that you can bend those. Uh, it's like a draw length. You shoot too long of a draw or too short of a draw. There's long-term repercussions. That frame height and curvature, same way. You want it to. You want it to. A mirror image be an extension of your body or, or attached to your body like it's a part of your own. It's no different than a buff. So once you get that figured out, the curvature, belt size, the belt size right, um, you know, shoulder straps, curvatures for correct, they're the right length, frames the right length. Once that's fitted, now you need to dive into what size of pack you need um, for each mm -hmm. the extended the stay that you're planning on going on. Now these are, these are general numbers I'm going to talk about. There is extremists in every part of life. So you have the ultra lightweight weight weaning that's uh, doing 10 days with 27 pounds. My camera gear weighs 27 pounds. That's not me. You also have guys, right. generally somebody in the Marine Corps or something like that, uh, just toughen up and carry more. Okay, those are the extreme far ends of the spectrum. Nothing against Marines or Army grunts or whatever, but I tend to find those are the guys that are like, I don't mind carrying it, just throw it in. You want to be in a yeah. medium there. You want enough space in your backpack to be able to cover comfortably the amount of gear that's in there with some extra room to pack out the animal. Now, I'll ask you guys, um, just as an example, Evan, I think you kind of cater to a happy medium. I don't think you go too far extreme on one end or the other when you're backpacking. Yeah, and I mine trail ready with four liters of water and most of my plan on six days and I've got more food in the truck. If I need to make a second run, um, I'm usually sitting loaded out around that 56 pound mark. And again, that's with four liters of water. Hmm. I'm, I'm a little lighter, uh, the lightweight weenie, um, than Evan is usually I can, uh, with, with my water on a, uh, seven to nine day, I'll usually be in there about 50 to 54, somewhere so, in there. So take, just taking those numbers, here's where things get a little wonky, comparative, uh, if you're taking advice online. Or I pack a 95 to 115 millimeter spotter in. That's quite a bit of extra. Oh, yeah. SLR camera, a minimum of one, generally two lenses. That's an extra 16 yep. pounds, roughly, um, right there. I also eat more than I probably should. I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, not starving yourself, especially you can, if you're doing a short trip, if you're doing back to back to back hunts. Um, so right. when I go, I can go super lightweight. And when you talk about super lightweight, we get into this minute that the tarp floorless, you know, uh, Hilleberg, Easton, whatever you're running for shelter, you can beat the system there, Rob Peter to pay Paul. But in general, for five days, I would say a good weight with water is that 40 to 45 pounds. You can be a little over, a little under, right around in there, and that's personal preference. But the size of the pack for, we'll just do the one to three day. One to three day, you can get away with a 3,200 cubic, 3, cubic inch pack. We always just say 4,000 to be safe, um, you know, depending upon if you're a bigger or smaller guy. Uh, for that's one to three day. So, you get three to five days, three to seven. I say, hey, you know, that that, that size, you want to start getting closer to 5,000 cubic inches. Uh, if you're pushing up to seven and, and potentially a lid on your pack that adds some size, 
once you're at seven, mm-hmm. I just tell people run 6,500 plus cubic inches. When we're at 14 days, um, fully loaded out, I am at 8,000 cubic inches to get in there and have some extra room to get back out. I don't personally use a meat shelf. We'll go over those in a minute. Um, when I come out, I just put the meat inside the pack. I feel more comfortable that way. Um, you Me know, each to, each to his own. Yep. I think meat shelves are great for day packs. I think, well, I don't think I'm packing out 30, 40, 50 animals a year. Um, it's quicker without a meat shelf. It's easier and it's more comfortable. If you are worried about getting your pack bloody or something like that, or uh, Danny, you've heard me mention this before. If, if the, uh, you know, you've got the guy that has the problem, the panic and the pill to fix it. If somebody's really pushing uh, a meat shelf on you and you like that style, there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure that style is a style that you do know you like, not something you're guessing you like. I've seen a lot of people really attach meat shelves incorrectly and make their lives a living hell coming, including with our, you know, yeah. right. So for me, you've got a 20 minute to 30 minute advantage on the pack out without a meat shelf. I don't have to open it up like a book. I literally, you know, when I'll go into loading the pack in a minute, load my gear, get the weight in the middle of my pack and off I go. I don't have to worry. It's like going in with horses. If you don't tie your load up correctly, you're going to have to stop and recinch everything. The way inside the pack that I do it, I'm more comfortable with that. So that size thing, general numbers, you know, you go three, five, and seven, right? You got 3,000 cubic inch, five, and 7,000 cubic inch, plus or minus. You want to look at the three-day or less, 3,000 cubic inches. Up to five, you want to get around 5,000 cubic inches. Now, again, there are extremists that can do with a 2,800 cubic inch pack seven days. If you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times they've got stuff strewn all over the outside of the pack. Yeah. Too, yeah. Um, little traveling gypsies. Been there. Yeah. It, it, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But you need to be sure yeah. that that is, you are capable of doing that because, you know, you always pay the piper. If, if you run um, heavier or you have more creature comforts going in, you're going to pay the piper on the hike in. You have less creatures, your yeah. hiking is going to be easier. Your stay is going to be more uncomfortable. As you progress, yeah. backpack yeah. hunting, you know, career, whatever you want to call it, you are going to write your own book, walk your own path, and know what you like. I would suggest in the beginning not taking advice from an extremist and follow that happy medium road um, so you're not totally dying on the way, totally dying yeah. when you're in there. You're just a happy medium and alter that as you go. Yep. Just curious, Aaron, on because I don't usually do 14 days. I, like nine to 10 days is about as long as I usually like to do without having to go back and, and replenish. You know what I mean? Um, and it, yeah. I don't know. The, the haul in gets pretty dang uncomfortable when you're going over that in my book. But with you going in and doing 14 dares quite consistently if you're not hauling uh, the the crazy amount of camera gear that you typically do let's say that you're only going in there with one camera and one lens and and uh maybe a spotter what kind of weight are you looking at on those 14 day trips but let's take let's take the camera gear out of it because we just did a big video for for kafaru cast on this point and shoot g5 yeah. mark ii canon Yep. With that in my pack, 
14 day and this is spartan like this is not right. there's not a lot in the pack right um i'm at five to 67 pounds with a nalgene bottle of water that's with the spotting scope tripod point and shoot camera game bags uh you know my 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 kit for my bow repair kit which is very small um extra i always bring extra arrows on a 14 day um you know hunt whether it's because of stumping missing or i got multiple species 65 pounds is on the low end that is with the most state-of-the-art lightweight yeah. gear you can find and about as unsafe and uncomfortable right. as i want to get um you know th- with technology nowadays you know you you have all kinds of different options for stoves and sleeping pads and um you know when you when you look at loading up for this stuff and i'll go into this in much more depth here in a minute where, where you're assessing how i always look at it the shorter the trip the more weight i can carry because uh or excuse me the shorter the trip meaning um the if i'm only going overnight uh, or two nights i can go very minimalist right, i can right. suffer through anything right i can carp and nothing's going to kill me for two days the farther in i go um, for example, uh, also, if it's a short trip farther in, I'm going extremely Spartan. If I'm going a long ways in, or excuse me, if I'm going for a long duration, but a short distance in, right. my pack's going to be pretty heavy. I can carry anything for two miles. I can carry you, either of you two right. for two miles if I had to, because I'm just not going in that far, and I want to be comfortable for that longer duration. Again, you have to assess yep. the distance you're going in. Um in total distance, the time you're staying, the weather that you will possibly be hitting, um, and then that terrain that you're going to be hitting on the way in. <laughs> yeah, so, like how, how steep it is going in. And, I, I mean, back to my point about my comfort zone being about that 10-day mark. For those that haven't carried a 65-pound pack in on steep terrain, that's, that's a lot of weight. On a, if you're if you're covering steep terrain on the way on the way in, and I would say for the average guy, man, 65 is going to test him. You know, it, it depends upon how steep that is. The, it, your your incline is on the way in, um, but man, test it out before you go throwing 65 pounds on and and going on a long pack in going uphill because not everybody's Aaron Schneider. Is my point, I guess. Oh. All three of us have lived in Colorado, and I would say uh, 50 to 70% of backpack hunters coming from anywhere that have never really done it either leave early, don't make it, or heavily alter their plans because yep. of the pack. Would you guys Absolutely. Agree? I agree 100%. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and it's like the Department of Wildlife is counting on that because of their harvest numbers. So, you know... When you when you when you look at that, you know you when they when I say they alter their plans, meaning they plan to go in five, and they realize there's an internet five miles, and there's a realistic five miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The internet five is the reality of two. Uh, you know, and you, you know, and I'm you know I'm not busting on anybody. It's just that's just life. I mean, I've seen enough of this that you know you're going to not go in as far, you're not going to go in long, or you will pull the pin. Or you are and, le- leaving leaving comforts along the side of the trail on the mm-hmm. way in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I say pull the pin, um, 
you know, when you go into the army, you have guys go into the uh, see the doc for asthma and come out with a knee injury to get out of basic. Training. So you'll have you you can and I've talked about the mental aspect of this a lot. You can justify a lot of things in your mind. Work, my family's missing me. Why I'm here, you know. And guys talk themselves off the mountain. Yep. Generally, that is a physical abuse and a mental weakness type of thing. And again, I'm not. I'm just being realistic. I'm not bagging on anybody. And if you're not a backpack hunter, you tried it and you don't like it, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You need to yep. know it's pain. It, it, it's a gut check. And, um, and, and especially if you're doing it by yourself. Like, oh, dude, I was about, I was about to say, it, it is, there, those are two different things. And there's guys who can handle that by themselves, and there's other guys that can't. And there, for, for me, there's a certain amount of time, like if I ever went and did that show alone and, you know, we've talked about the guys that do those, Aaron, you've interviewed a couple of them on your podcast. Um, I'm friends with Jordan. Um, man, that is, that right there intensifies everything is being by yourself and the mental toughness really comes into play there. Well, and, and, and what I, again, you know, I try to explain this to people, and I don't know if you ever remember back in the day, I think it was Ken Shamrock in the first UFC diet days, some guys were like, it's only pain, I can make it through anything, and next thing you know, they're, they're tapping out. It's easy yeah. to say, I played college sports and I can handle it, and then the oxygen fairy comes in and sucks it all out of you, and your VO2 max <laughs> acid building you're going 10 feet at a time and you're staring at the sun and you can see the summit and you're like what in the heck am i doing here and you go hump by the road there's nothing wrong yeah. with that but i think if people really take a look at how much they're putting in their pack we'll go that in a minute you know their packing list how their pack fits their boots are good all of those things and try and have fun it's not a race up the mountain i know a lot of people yeah. kill a lot of good animals doesn't matter how fast they get there. It's like the sloth backpacking. Uh, it's like the sloth backpack hunting crew. You'll get there when you get there. Just right. Get there, right. So if you, enjoy the trip at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no no reason to rush it. Um, if if you get in there and you've had fun and you know you you took an extra half day to get there, you're still there. Uh, just yeah. don't burn yourself out and crush yourself. So. Um, you know, when you, we're talking about like the, the pack loading, um, and things like that, you know, we talked about pack fitment when, when you go into loading a, a pack, especially on these longer hunts, like you guys talked about going solo. Um, I don't suggest doing that initially. Um, no, we all three have been doing this a long time. Um, you guys have had some unbelievable people on the podcast that are very capable of doing a lot of amazing things. The one thing they have is a lot of knowledge. Um, what they have even more than knowledge is wisdom. Um, and I've, I've Barklow kind of copied this from me from Sitka, but the difference was, you know, wisdom and knowledge is wisdom. You've done it. Knowledge. You just know it. And with, with that wisdom comes what you need, what you don't need, what you can get through, how good your field craft is. If crap kind of hits the fan. And so, you're going to get to a point if you do this enough to where you have enough wisdom to where you know exactly what you need in your pack and, and you're good to go. And so you want to be careful with taking advice sometimes from certain different people potentially that might, you know, if you live in Colorado, your advice is going to be different than someone that lives in North Idaho. North Idaho rains a lot, for example. Uh, right. but there's a lot of oxygen in North Idaho. Colorado doesn't rain as much, but there's no oxygen. 
Right. So when you're figuring out the packing list, you know, I've seen guys pack pants for every day of the trip on a backpack hunt. Oh, my goodness. Um, underwear, socks, you know, things like that. And, you know, the reality is, and I'll just give the quick list of what I bring on a 14-day backpack hunt. It's very simple. For clothing, the pants I'm wearing in are the pants I've got. That's all I'm bringing. Yep. I have one extra set of undies and one extra set of socks because I can rinse them off and rotate. Yep, and change them and leave them hang overnight. Yep, yep. I usually hang them on a guy line or I'll take some 1.8 millimeter guy line, make my little cord to dry my funk off. So, you know, then, um, you know, the clothing wise, your layering system, I wear generally like a really 140 weight merino t shirt. It's just a mm-hmm. super thin t shirt. I then have a fully long sleeve, um, you know, hooded type shirt. And potentially, if it's cold, I'll have a fleece that does the same thing. A lot of times, I'll pack two of those. Hot days, I wear the really thin one. And then on cold days, I throw the other fleece over it. The, the lightweight one, like the, the – am I cool to mention clothing brand? Yeah, specific pieces, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The core lightweight hoodie. That one, it's got a mask inside of it. It's super lightweight. It's got a hood. And the hood is, is important to burning your dome because the 13,000 feet, you can reach up and – probably talk to god face to face right you're the sun is right there yeah and, so, well, and that's what a lot of people don't realize too is i see a lot of guys coming out with just either a long sleeve or a short sleeve and a regular like like a richardson or a legacy style baseball hat that is vented or mesh back i i do not have a single piece that touches my skin on the top that doesn't have a hood and i prefer a boonie style hat specifically to give me the extra shade on my head and on my neck because when you're up glass and mule deer or you're up at the top of a base and trying to figure out how to get around a bull to get into another basin on a herd of elk you are closer to the sun than you will ever be oh yeah and it will fry you yep the, the only good thing about that is if you're using a solar charger mm-hmm. it does work better because you're right by the sun yeah it does work <laughs> faster yeah. but the only good part of it um so, yeah, I, I strongly suggest, like Kevin said, have a hood with everything, all your, your layers. Some guys will wear like a medium weight core crew type of a, a hood. Nothing wrong with that, but I, I like a hood. Mm-hmm. So then I have a little bit heavier fleece hood. I have a puffy jacket and I have a rain jacket, a rain pants and jacket, and they are very lightweight. That is all I bring. Yeah. I, I, and I've seen some amazing clothing lists people have sent me that dissected every part of multiple different clothing camo company lines and i'm like dude you have to carry that in mm-hmm. and sometimes you, you know um you can buy really cool gear you can buy clothing you, you can't buy hard work you know you can't buy work ethic and so people kind of get hung up sometimes and build right buying really epic stuff and i always try to impress you, upon people you feel like if you bought it it has to go in yeah <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, you know, you also need to have your skill set to align. You want it to try to align with your gear list. If your your skill set is, you know, subpar, your gear list is epic, um, you may want to work on your, your skill set and not worry about your gear quite so much. You know, you may want to, you know, kind of level the playing field out with that. So that's all the clothing I bring. Um, you know, then sleeping bag-wise, I'm in a 20-degree type bag for September you know, that we're talking high country mule deer elk right now. 20 degree bag um, is what I suggest. Sleeping pad, there's several different. 
uh, Thermarest X-Lite, uh, X-Bed, Big Agnes, Q-Core SLX. I'm using a lightweight three-season pad. Um, I'm getting to where now I carry a bigger pad because I want to sleep more. I have trouble sleeping anyway. But your sleep system, when you're talking about your bag, pad, and your shelter, you really don't yeah. want that to go under um, roughly five to six pounds. And you really don't want it to go over seven to eight. Uh, you other because you're kind of going, you know, kind of extreme on either side. If you're going below five, that means that you you could potentially, with a high country storm coming in, jeopardize your hunt. Now, if you're a stud and you're already used to all this, you don't you know run run what you're running. I'm not you know I'm not trying to change your mind. But if you're a newbie or or, or a relative beginner, you're looking at two to three pounds for your bag. Um, you're looking at a pound to a pound and a half for your pad and you're looking at for your shelter, depending anywhere from 16 ounces up to four pounds and, you know, do the math, mm -hmm. right? When you're running a floorless shelter, or a, tar a tarp type system, it's amazing for carrying in. It's really good for blocking the sun. But if you get a 40 mile an hour crosswind with uh, what I call snane, snow and rain, mm -hmm. things can get a little squirrely. So, you know, you, you want to, you know, stay in those parameters for your sleep system. You know, then I'm going to have some type of a Zolio or a Garmin inReach type of a communication system. I'm going to have a headlamp, a very Spartan med kit, um, very Spartan bow repair kit. Uh, I'm also, you want to know how to use those things. You want to know how to back serve and fix your bow. Um, you know, if you can, serving comes loose, backup D-loop, couple field points, pretty basic stuff. Uh, my stove multiple different stoves on the market uh, generally on backpack hunts like this i carry an msr reactor for long distance ones on shorter trips or whatever i have a, a, a soda Windmaster and an ever new titanium cup it's very small very lightweight but when the rubber meets the road the msr reactor in my opinion is the most durable and best option for high altitude rough weather um, but there's a lot of options on the market. I just, that reactor is what I pack in. It's worth the extra weight. It's never let me down. Titanium spork, right? Um, my cleanliness kit is pretty Spartan. I've got a little toothbrush and a little thing of paste. I've got a backup migraine pill, backup set of contacts. I got a couple links to dental floss. Um, pretty basic stuff, uh, contact solution because I wear contacts and I carry some ibuprofen and some some painkillers just general stuff super glue uh, and luco tape i don't carry a lot of crap with that um you know after that kill kit i got some game bags uh tito knife have one type knife whatever you, you you know pick your poison with that so i don't have a lot of things you know when i'm back there optics take a lot of weight i'm generally packing a 95 to a 115 spotter i've got yeah. um i use an outdoorsman compact tripod uh, outdoorsman um, that I use that pan head has worked well for me, even with the bigger spotters. Um, so again, I don't need to go over an entire gear list, but I've got um, MSR aqua tabs. I use a, a Steripen classic. Um, you know, I have a six liter bladder and I don't use, I use a Nalgene for my daily water, a bladder for my camp water. And I've got a system that's very, uh, very, very honed down. I don't, I don't really ever have to, move around or, or change things that works very well for me. Everyone's system is going to be a little bit different. The one thing I will say is if you laid out most very hardcore backpack hunters gear, 
they're all going to have a lot of similarities. None of them are going to be overpacked. None of them are going to be underpacked. Um, just because they're used to going in, they know what they need. I haven't done a spreadsheet on a gear list in, I don't know, a decade. Yeah. I know what has to go in my pack. Yeah. Well, I, I still use the old spreadsheets just to make sure that I'm not forgetting anything. But everybody, it seems to, like I've found my system. And, you know, whether it's food, whether it's the stove that I use, and it really it hasn't changed a whole lot for the last 10 years. There might be new pieces of gear that come into it every now and again, but like <laughs> my, my food system, for instance, it's the same breakfast, it's the same snacks throughout the day, it's the same dinner as it has been for the last 10 years. Um, I don't know how, and you're, you're way big, like you definitely concentrate on the food and making sure that you have excess more than I do on these things. Um, why, why don't you talk about a little bit about what you pack for food? So, you know, for food, um, the, the one thing I, I stay out of the gate, I, I live at a higher altitude and I'm at a higher altitude. And generally when people backpack in or at high altitude, they eat less. And that's just fact. I mean, they do. Yep. I'm at high altitude so much. I don't eat less, which is, which is kind of crappy because I could pack less food. I eat more. I'm up there all the time. So for me, my the basic rule of thumb is 100 calories an ounce. Whatever goes in my food bag is 100 calories an ounce. And so I try to eat 32 to 3,500 calories a day. So I'm carrying two pounds of minimum of food a day. Um, mm -hmm. I always eat that much, but I, I've done this a lot. So I know what I need and, and how I do it. And, and Frank and I are doing a video Monday to, to, to cover all this. I have a gallon Ziploc bag. Everything in that bag um, is is the, the caloric intake, um, the macros. Everything is charted out that what goes in there. I try to stay about 30, 30, 30, you know, or 33, 33, 33, meaning carbs, protein, and fat. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I take, um, I bring in pills to help for regularity. I bring in krill oil pills or fish oil. I bring in probiotics. Um, you know, with me, cause you can get some stomach, if you're not used to eating that food, it can, it can cause some problems on most of you. Yeah. You can get a little plugged up or a little, you don't want to be crapping through a window screen either. So I do suggest testing some of this food before you head into the woods cause it may upset your stomach, but 32 to 3,500 calories. Now the caveat to that on easier days, I 100% try and eat less to save that food and bank it in case the hunt gets extended. And so right. if I have a day where I went on one stock, my caloric burn wasn't that bad. I'm going to try to save some of that food. And I'm going to bank it for later. And I'm going to have a Ziploc bag of my banked food because there's other days I might go on six stocks or five stocks and I may be burning 10,000 calories. I may be stealing out of that banked food that day to keep my energy level up and not, not, be running on borrowed time. The one thing, the key thing, do not go on a diet when you're in the back country. I'm not saying pack so much food you gain weight, but don't starve right. yourself. Have some common sense. Well, and do, one of the things that you'll you'll know. Oh, go, go ahead. Finish what you no, no, finish your thought. No, go ahead. No, that's probably a good thing. So go ahead. Well, um, one thing that I notice is when you are working that hard at that elevation, like you said, I don't know how much elevation has to do with it or not, but when you're just constantly working, 
I find myself just not being as hungry, period. And I have to remind myself, like, if I've got four different mini meals that I'm eating throughout the day, if I'm not reminding myself and concentrating on eating, I'll get to the end of the day of the day and I'll have two of them left. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, and I have dropped like 12, 13 pounds, maybe even more than that on a single week long hunt before, um, because I wasn't reminding myself to eat. And a lot of times when you're doing that and you're working harder than you're used to, you have to remind yourself to eat because it, at the, you know, once you get five, six days into it and you've dropped 10 pounds, all of a sudden you find your energy levels just gone, shot, yeah. you know, yeah, you're and, it, and it's yeah. because you're, you're losing weight too fast. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'll bonk. And so yeah. when you talk about the, the, the four mini meals, the reason that gallon Ziploc bag full of food is important. One, it's quick. When I'm loading up to go on the trip, I'm on 10 days. I grab 10 bags. Um, yep. When I'm heading out for the day, I grab my bag. Now that bag, the only, you know, in that bag, I have something like liquid IV or adult, um, with Pedialyte, uh, you know, basically electric. Mm -hmm. Um, I have coffee that gets drank first thing in the morning, right? I, I drink coffee when I wake up. Um, yeah, me too. But I take the dinner. That's a comfort I'm not willing to do without. Yeah, no, that is no kidding. Um, the coffee is important. Um, I take the dinner out in the morning and I throw that in my tent because I'm, you know, saving that obviously for when I get back with the stove. So I'm not going to pack it for no reason. Um, right. So, hey, now if I'm glassing by my tent, you know, I disregard what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is we're heading to the glassing point and I may not see my tent again till dark. I'm grabbing the Ziploc right. bag day of food. The goal again is to. Be, eat the applicable amount needed for the amount of caloric burn that you have put out that day. So if you've had a normal day, eat all your food. If you had a light day, obviously, you know, maybe not eat all your food, bank some of it. Cause especially some of them trips get extended. And when yeah. you're out of food, the trip's not getting extended. It's just not, you're going to, you gotta eat maybe a, a day you can go without eating. But, um, I mean, technically, a human can go two to three weeks with no food and not die. You can only go two days without water, but you're not going to be, you know, just crushing it on the mountain without eating. So try to eat the food. So um, the other thing, you know, that's important, and number two, um, eat food that you want to bring food you want to eat. That is enjoy, uh, uh, you're enjoying eating it, not that you're cramming down. So don't out of the blue say, I'm going backpack hunting and I'm going to buy a bunch of keto food and crap that you haven't eaten before try out healthy food obviously but you know hopefully you're eating that already but food that you want to consume that has a lot of fat and a lot of protein and a lot of carbs um yeah some of the different things that we'll bring in um you know depending um that that that, that may people don't don't think about that, that are important when we make our breakfast cereal there's sliced almonds in that that's good fats um you know, we have craisins usually, which there is sugar in that, those, you know, and we, I don't worry too much about that. I'll use weight gainer for my protein powder for my milk substitute. The weight gainer is high calories, high carbs, um, but some type of protein powder uh, for your milk substitute um, or some type of a high calorie oatmeal, however, however you want to do it for, for breakfast. Now, I generally don't eat first when I wake up. I, I just don't. I get to my glassing point. And I eat there while I'm glassing. Mostly, I may puke it up if I had to climb that thousand foot climb or six hundred foot climb to my glassing point. 
yeah. 15 minutes. I just ate a bunch of oatmeal. Once I get up there, I'll eat it. So I take that with me. What um, kind of oatmeal are you usually taking? I've I've just done instant oatmeal for all these for all these years. Two two yeah. pouches of instant oatmeal, and then I might add some stuff to it. Dried fruit, uh, nuts, almonds, like you're talking about. I, I don't know what kind you're using. Exact same thing, and. I, you know, some people get more into it than, than you and I do, but I do, I get, um, an instant oatmeal. I like, I do a minimum yep. of two, I put it in a Ziploc bag, uh, the beefy kind. Um, and then I add the other stuff I want to now, generally what we'll do is we'll just make a huge batch of it and then we'll take a cup scoop and we put them in those Ziploc bags. Um, yeah. and we're going, we, we did a video or we're, excuse me, we're doing a video on Monday about all this just to you know, make sure people understand how that we do it and kind of pick and choose what they want. And then sometimes we'll take like a bagel with peanut butter, honey, and bacon. Um, if you get pre-cooked bacon, that'll last a while. That's about eight to 1200 calories. That's a good midday snack. You've got protein in there. You've got fats in there. It's good. It's, you know, it's also tasty. You know, and I don't know anybody didn't like peanut butter and honey. I'm sure somebody does, but most people <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and so we like Quest bars. We'll eat Quest bars. There's actually Keto Crunch bars. We do like they're they're a keto bar. Um, I, I like Metrix Big 100 bars, uh, the chocolate chip cookie dough. Mm-hmm. Probably not the healthiest thing in the world for you, but they're 400 and some calories for the bar, and I can eat them all day. Yeah. So make sure what you're putting in that that you like to eat. Dinners. I'll either make my own. Um, there's a bunch of different. I don't eat Mountain House anymore. I think I just said Peak Refuel is one that I eat a lot. Um, really good flavors. There's a lot of sodium in all of these, but they're not too, too bad. Um, but with dinners, you want to try some of them. If you, if you, you know, you want to at least test them out. They are kind of expensive, but, you know, give it a whirl. Make sure you, you like what you're, you know, packing in with you. We do take all of those out of their wrappers. And, and pre-pack them. There's two reasons to do that, and I don't know if I'm going to get bashed for this. One, it's lighter weight, or there's three reasons. Two, uh, well, one being lighter, two being more compact. Three, a lot of times, if applicable, depending upon where we're at, we burn our trash, um, you know, in, in a fire pit. Right. Uh, you know, if, if applicable, the Ziploc bags burn up, totally gone. You can't see they're there. The Mountain House Peak Refuel type packaging they don't go away. Yeah. And so we, good conscious, we don't want to leave trash. So the Ziplocs burn um, and we can make a no trace type of um, uh, of an area when we leave, meaning we can scatter dirt back over that and, and make it look like we weren't there. You know, depending upon where they're at, there's different legalities to that. Just make sure, check with your local state uh, affiliations. But the compactness is another one more lightweight you know all three so things. a question on that like you say you've got a gallon ziploc bag for a day um and that you're dumping you said you're dumping your dinner into that gallon ziploc bag no what i do um and uh and this is very important i have a half gallon bag that i put my dinner in that gets okay. pulled out when and all of my food for the day goes in the gallon bag. And I grab the gallon when I leave. Right. The half gallon bag, dinner in it, stays in my tent. Oh, okay, okay. Because I don't need. And what that, that half gallon Ziploc does with my dinner, I open the peak refuel or whatever dinner, pour it in the gallon Ziploc. I'm back home, throw that wrapper away. Yeah. Those beefy Ziploc bags can handle boiling water. Um, the, the food rehydrates fine. 
and again it's smaller and we can burn it if applicable in the area we're at and and it doesn't leave a trace um those are reasons why we do that the other uh, again as we're talking i pack a pill pack um not not a not a total sales pitch here i got tired of having to part and piece all these pills together so we just started a company that that does a backcountry um, pill pack with us, right? So I take all those in the morning. Those go in one in these gallons of plug right. bag. Uh, my drink mix for the day. I use True Lemon drink mix. It doesn't have sucralose or anything in it. I like a little flavor of my water, and I mix that with some Pedialyte to get electrolytes in me and a little bit more urge to drink water. I try to drink 100 ounces a day while I'm back mm-hmm. Um So the, the food... Is is the, is is your your savior and your your enemy? It's same with water. You got to have it, but you got to pack yeah. it. And so I try to be very finite about what I do with food. What's your What's your water system like? What are you Are you filtering or are you uh, iodine or what are you What are you doing? So I haven't packed a filter in a long, long, long time. Um, I use uh, two Steripen. systems. Primary. Uh, yep, my primary is a Steripen. Uh, my backup is MSR Aqua Tabs or Aqua Mira. Mm-hmm. For my camp water, because I don't want to stir up in, you know, six now jeans full. Yep. I, a six liter uh, MSR drum light or a hydro pack is another one I use. That's four or six liters. Mm-hmm. That's my camp water. And I fill that up and just put six pills in there, put the applicable drops from Aquamira, mm-hmm. um, you know, shake it up, have that. And then I keep that in the shade and that way I've got water, you know, at my campsite. And if I'm going to go on a potential, this is usually elk hunting, extended distance without any water whatsoever, mm-hmm. I throw that bladder, not with six liters in it, but I throw that bladder in my pack with a couple extra liters through the day. If I'm going to some of the areas you and I have hunted, yep. not a lot of water. Nope. And so you got to be smart about that, you know, as far as what you bring, because sometimes there's just not uh, an algae and you may not see water again for six or eight hours. So you got to have other water than 32 ounces. Well, I've got a, I've got an interesting water system. I don't know if I've ever even told you about it. But I, I like to use a gravity-fed filter in the camp, you know. And whenever I get up to where I'm going to be, I will take a uh, construction-grade trash bag. you got to make sure that you find one that is unscented. You, if you ever do it with a scented one, you'll be sorry. But the first thing I do once camp is set up, I'll hike to wherever the water source is, and I will line the – I'll take everything out of my pack – and so let's say I have a 5,500 square foot pack. I line the pack with that, uh, with that construction grade trash bag. And then I go to the water source and I just fill it without filtering or anything straight into the, I'll, I'll get a good five gallons in the back of that pack and hike that back to my camp. And now I pull that bag up out of the backpack and basically find a place that either has a, a tree or something to hang it from and just basically rest it on the ground and tie the top of that bag off with some paracord up to the tree. Now I have five gallons that are just sitting there and I can just continuously reach down in there with a with a cup and fill up that gravity-fed bag in the camp the entire time. And usually for, oh shoot, for a longer hunt, that's the only time that I have to go get water the entire time that I'm there. No, and that's smart. And I mean, with the six liter, I'm probably going to make it four days. Um, yeah and the thing you have to be um 
I think you've seen I carry a, a walking stick ice axe sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. That is not because I'm climbing Everest. There's there's a few things right. that are really handy with that, depending upon where you're hunting. One is digging out seeps to make drainages for what you're talking about. I take my yep. my 30 liter dry sack for my sleeping bag, and I will do the exact same thing you're doing. I'll I'll usually take some kind of a wrapper from my my food and I make a spigot more or less or a drain, and then yep. I put that bag under there. And I literally just roll the top. It's waterproof. I'll pack it back to camp, if applicable, with my six liter. Or if I don't want to wait forever because it's a trickle, I'll leave that bag there for the day so I can come back yep. and water in it. I don't worry about schmucklins and crap in my water. I, I, I'm not saying you want really dirty water, but i know dirt is the last thing on my mind if there's some floaties in there or whatever as long as it's not poop i really don't care too much i can feel <laughs> through that uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time i've had giardia a few times i've never had giardia using msr aqua tabs aquamira or a steropin i've got it from not filtering water or purifying water um right from what danny just said were the were, was that in alaska every time no, actually, I got it in British Columbia, Colorado, uh, British Columbia twice, Colorado twice, and Idaho once. Oh, man. I'm glad I've never had uh, – I, I don't know how because I've spent the first half of my career never filtering water, um, but I somehow avoided it. Don't don't ever want you know, some, some people are more prone to it than others. I think, you know, you do this – long enough that you're going to um, do enough things wrong that you're going to become an expert by default um, because of how much you screwed up. And luckily for me, I've screwed up quite a bit. So there's not hopefully too many more screw ups down the pipeline, but (laughs) water, um, (laughs) water being one of them, you know, on a stock thinking outside of the box with water, like, like Danny has done. Um, When I go on a stock in my chest rig for my binos, I used to, yeah, I don't carry a pack unless it's a very small assault type pack because those those are so long that we have to go on. I started putting a gallon foldable Ziploc bag in my chest rig. And when I would get to water, I would just fill that gallon bag up, throw my aqua tabs in there, my whatever, let it purify, and I would drink water out of that. Um, I, I it Literally, I can set it between my chest rig. It's a little uncomfortable if I need to walk or I'll just sit there and wait. I used to carry a aqua, like a survival straw. But, you know, your cuda rings about popping out of your forehead trying to suck, suck water through that yeah. thing. <laughs> now I carry that Ziploc bag to fill up water. Being resourceful and being a good woodsman, um, you, you know, thinking outside the box. That Ziploc bag has been huge for me because I've – blown a stock i'm a thousand feet in the hole climbing out nothing wrong with sitting on the road sitting on the creek side for 30 minutes and replenishing the water you know drinking you know clean yourself off kind of reinvigorate yourself as gallon ziploc bag works miracles you know because you can purify the water and drink out of that and then if i have some left i'll just pack it in my hand on the way up tighten it up and i'll drink out of that on the way back to my uh, my, my back to my camp or my glassing point or my gear or whatever. Yeah. It's better than packing algae. It's better than have something super bulky. And I can always use that and it fits in my chest rig. So water is something you definitely, I, I strongly encourage you to think outside the box. Well, if there's one thing that backpack hunting will teach you other than 
mental toughness, um, it's to be resourceful. And the longer you do it, the more resourceful you're going to get. And, you know, it's out of, it's out of necessity. And like Aaron's saying, it's, it's not necessarily for everybody. Um, but it is, uh, I don't know about you, man, but I've had some of the most spiritual experiences of my life have been when I'm seven days into a, uh, in, into a backpack hunt, you know, um, we might not go to church, but we're up there with God a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, kind of, a you put things in context or full circle. I think, uh, 2019, um, 2018, I, I, I killed a, uh, we sent the tooth in eight and a half year old, this nasty three by three first high country buck with a stick, but like true high country. Yeah. We're in 14 days came out for a day, went back in and killed it. So quite a bit of an extended uh, butt whooping, right? So yeah, uh, 2000, went back in, had two deer I, I was going after. Day 11, uh, I missed. It ended up scoring 203. It was 32 and a half inches wide. They killed it in the migration, um, uh, you know, down in the lower land when it got pushed out of the high country, you know, a couple months later. Yeah. Missed that buck at 12 yards in the cliffs. I, I climbed to the top of the mountain. My wife's a rock star. I climb up. I called my wife. She's never really seen me quit much. And I called her and I said, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm coming home. And she's like, you got a day left. And I said, look, I'm going to need it to recover. I just hunted 11 straight days for a shot at this buck. I missed them at 12 yards in the cliffs. And I'm telling her the story. And she's like, okay, so. And you're, you're just totally demoralized. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, when you've, hunted your entire 11 days you know you, you you've done everything all this suffering we're talking about lightning storms your sleep deprivation right and and miss it it was just like okay he's not coming back for a couple of days anyway and so we went to alaska i uh, ended up shooting that wolverine there had an amazing hunt came back in went in solo seven miles on day three i called frank and said frank don't come back he was going to come help me i'm like i can't find any deer man they're not here anymore everything's that you know everything's dying vegetation i literally right. an hour after i got off the phone with them a buck came in and this isn't justification for shooting a 125 inch three-year-old deer but it, it it does come full circle for the story six deer come in i put a hellish crazy i mean body butt kicking stock and shoot this deer at like nine yards and i don't have my big pack i'm so low i have this little day pack my assault pack i'm cramming debone meat in it i've got game bags in my hands the pack on i'm climbing up a 45 degree slope trying to get to my big pack a storm comes in uh literally honestly i was on the phone with my wife and randy cooling too much you know uh, having admiration time i did it you know and i, I so I, amazing experience and what was the value of that tag like what did i get out of that like it, it's just some of the most memorable and exhilarating and, and fulfilling experiences are on on backpack hunts for me yeah and it it didn't really matter how big that deer was and i've tried to explain that to people from for me yeah that that deer is worth more. I've shot a few in the high 170s, 180s spot and stock hunts with a recurve compound. I'm like, that deer means more than me, not because of the size, because of the dedication it took and, and what I went through to get it. 
And I actually wrote an article, I haven't sent it to anyone, called The Value of the Inches. Because if you judge that animal off inches, yeah. it's not very valuable. Yeah. But if you judge what it took to get it, that's one of the most valuable deer I've ever shot. I've, I learned so much. I had amazing stocks and learning. And, and again, camaraderie. Frank was in and out with me. And um, you know, I got to be alone a ton and you know, ponder my thoughts and all this crazy stuff. People have to realize that when you're back there backpack hunting, you should be doing it more than just the in inches. It should be the, the places you're at, the experiences you have, the physical exertion and the reward, the reward you get after taking an animal or coming close. That's what I think makes a great backpack hunter. It's, it's not one. When I say that meaning great, meaning they're doing it for the right reasons yeah. and they have no um, I don't want to get on my ho high horse here, but they're doing it because of love of what they do, not because of the love of inches. It's a love of literally the task at hand. For the entire experience, the demoralizing, excruciating <laughs> experience that you go through. And it, those, you're right. When you come out, those are the most memorable ones, the ones that we're the, the most challenged by. But, hey, Brother, you and I could talk about this. Well, when we're offline, we talk about it a hell of a lot. But uh, um, we need to have you on again. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Aaron, have been living under a rock or something like that, he has accomplished a heck of a lot with a trad bow over the last few years. And uh, uh, a ton of it has been with a Hoyt's Tory. Um, a lot of people, he's got a nickname, Trad Jesus, uh, is <laughs> literally what a lot of people are calling him. <laughs> That wasn't my own name. No, you did not that. come up with that. No, that was that was other guys that came up with that. But we definitely want to have you on again to talk about some of that uh, later on and go into a, a, a trad discussion. Um, but we'll probably cut it off for today. We've been on here for a good long time. We ate up enough of your time. But I sure have enjoyed it, buddy. Um, it was it was odd being the one directing this one instead of me being over on your podcast. And if you ever want to hear more of Aaron, his podcast is uh, is uh, Kafaru Cast, and it's available everywhere. Gotcha, well, man. I appreciate you having me on. Anybody like Danny said, I have had uh, some amazing luck with the Hoyt Satori. Anybody has any questions about that bow, how to tune it, different uh, limb links, and the whole nine yards? I've, I've become an encyclopedia of the Satori for most people. So feel free to shoot me a message, ask me a question. Um, I've shot Hoyts off and on for a lot of years. It's a great company. So I, I'm all you guys would, uh, you know, ask me to come on here. Well, we enjoyed having you brother and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Take it easy.